0: So, we're in Revelation chapter 21 today, and um, I'm going to summarize the chapters, the two chapters that we'll cover, and highlight a couple things that I think are important. Um, Every part of God's Word, listen to me and look up at me for just a second, kids included, every part of God's Word is important. Every part. Um, You say, well, You know, I've fallen asleep with my nose in the Bible as I've read through a genealogy. There's some really cool stuff inside of genealogies, like even the small stuff that we think maybe is insignificant. Uh, There's some cool stuff in some strange places in the Bible that you wouldn't expect. And we know, because the Word of God tells us so, that the Word of God is living and active, right? Right? And so there's something that applies. I don't, I, and I know that you haven't, but I want to give you one last encouragement to not just look at the book of Revelation as, okay, well, I don't really want to fuss with that, mess with that. That's somewhere far in the distant future. Uh, that's nothing that applies to me today. Oh, no, no, no. It definitely applies to you today. And this is not just to sharpen up your theology to be able to do battle with a coworker from a different denomination. This is to help you really understand the hope that we have. In fact, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, my girls will be able to shout the title out. Uh, but there is a story about um, Arabian Nights. And somebody flying on a carpet. And two lovebirds singing a song. Aladdin. There we go. Um, and there's this phrase that's used in that movie in the, uh, in the time that the two are together, and they sing this song, A Whole New World. If I started, you you could all join in. You've heard the song before. Uh, that has nothing to do with Revelation. We're not going to fly on carpets, okay? But that is the title of today's message. You say, how does your brain work, Pastor? Because we're talking about the new earth. It's going to be a whole new world, Oh, new world. Okay, I won't, I won't uh, traumatize you with that. Revelation chapter 21, um, it paints really an awe-inspiring picture of the future for all believers. In fact, it tells us, if I had to put it in one statement, it tells us that we have a bright future. The future is bright. Here's the thing. You and I, if we look at Revelation 21 and just think about that in the far distant future, then we won't understand what the Holy Spirit may want to deliver to you today. That is regardless of the circumstance you are currently facing, whether it's a health crisis, a family issue, a job issue, you as a child of God have a bright future That's amazing when you think about that. And this is not something that's like far distant out there. This is something that you can hold on to that hope even now that God's got you the same hands that hold the world in place. We learned that song in nursery many years ago. He's got the whole world in his hands. We need to understand that world includes me. I think sometimes we think, well, it includes those people that are dealing with that stuff and war-torn places, and no, 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 His hands hold me. I have a bright future. You do too. Amen? So despite the struggles and trials that we face in this life, there is a glorious future for us. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation 21 that we should be filled, essentially, with hope and awe because the new Jerusalem is going to be amazing, Above all, the chapter really reminds us that God is at the beginning and he's also at the end. Not only does he serve as bookends, okay? Have you ever, maybe you have a bookshelf in your house and it has like the bookends, those cool little things that keep the book straight. Not only does he serve as holding it all together, he is in all. Even even what we as humans might have referred to and deemed the dark ages, God was alive and well, Amen. So even in our dark night, He's alive and well. But chapter twenty one really gives us a vision of hope and future, hope for a future, um, and it it pictures God dwelling with His people and His promise being fulfilled that He will come and dwell with His people. The promise of a life that's free from sorrow. Amen? How many of you have cried in the last 60 days? Okay. He'll give you a life free from sorrow. This is amazing. So when all those things fade away, all the sorrows, tribulations, and trials, they give us, a. Uh, it gives way to a future that is bright, that has eternal peace and Joy. Look with me at chapter 21, verse 6. I encourage you to read both of these chapters in their entirety. I just don't have time um, to do that today, but I want you to do that at some point. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6 through 8 says this And he, being the one who's seated on the throne, said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'll explain those terms in just a moment. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my child, my son. Verse 8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's really, really striking to me in verse 6. When he says that phrase, the one who is seated on the throne, he says that three-letter or three-word phrase and says, it is done. And I began to think as I was doing my study for this message, I began to think about the three pivotal statements that I've heard God himself say in the Bible with three different words, three different arrangements. And I want you to think, use your mind and engage it this morning. I want you to think about this. In Genesis, what does what does God actually say when he creates the world? Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, God speaks out this statement and says everything. The, the author says this, that God saw what he had made and said, it is good. That's awesome. God's original design was good. We're the ones who have messed it up. But He is the one who will restore it. Amen? Then I think about the crucifixion. I think about Jesus on the cross. And the fact that He said that striking phrase. It is finished. My work is done. That, I, that which I came for, it is completed. The cross of Calvary is what we needed. Amen? So Jesus says it is finished and then he is buried and resurrected from the dead on the third day. But now we hear a different three word phrase in the very last two chapters of the Bible. God saying it is done. Now when God says it is done, you can bank on it. It's done. right? Uh, there's not going to be another, oh, wait, hey, there's a surprise coming. Nope. This is the moment everything gets wrapped up. And so I think of creation and the cross and eternity. God speaks his word over all of those things. Amen. It is good. It is finished. It is done. So something else to notice there in the just the few verses that we read it says the one, verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I'll be his God and he'll be my son or my child. And then verse 8 says, but for the, and it lists these other people who do these other things. I begin to think about that and I've spoken on this a few times before in different ways. But I want to say this really clearly and simply. And I want you to hold your Hold your judgment. Some of you thought I said I was going to hold your applause. Okay, no. Uh, hold your judgment for just a moment. Because I don't know how many of you just stay attached to the news station on TV and stuff. Or you know the details of what's going on in the world. There's some crazy stuff. And there are people with wicked, devious intentions that repurpose our language. Okay, one of you understands this. Let me I see some nods though. Okay, She was bold enough to speak out. We have a problem. There are people, the spirit of Babylon still exists, okay? We have people in our media, in our politics, in all these places that are seeking to repurpose the original design of language. It will be the downfall of the culture if everyone forgets, and we have a bad memory If everyone forgets what the original meaning was. You say, Pastor, you're talking about something, but you haven't really told us what it is. Here's the word that I want you to understand. When it comes to our faith, the phrase I want you to understand. When it comes to our faith, our faith is both inclusive and exclusive. It is not inclusive in the way that the world system tries to preach it. It is not you come to church and remain in a lifestyle of sin and keep on going until your final day and then surprise, surprise, split the gates of hell wide open. It is that we believe... That it is inclusive in the fact that john 's jesus 's conversation rather with um, his buddy Nicodemus in the book of John that we could all quote John chapter three verse sixteen, we need to understand it is for whosoever will right. wants to come can come, yeah. but the the journey just begins there it does not end there, so You are in a church today, whether you are part of our family or whether you're visiting, you are in a church today that believes in the truth of God's word. And we understand that God's desire is to change you. You're not good enough. You're not a good enough parent. You're not a good enough spouse. You're not a good enough Christian. You're not good enough. And you say, Pastor, I came to be encouraged and lifted up. Well, slap in the face, here we are. You are not good enough. And God does not actually want to make you good enough in your own standard. He wants to make you the best version of who you are. And the best version of who you are is not the best Marsha that you could ever be. Or the best Sam or the best Dan. It is the actual image of His only begotten Son. He wants to transform your life. So we need to understand, yes, our faith is inclusive, but it's not inclusive in the way the media uses that word and term. It is our understanding. And let me just say this, then I'll get back to my notes. It is not also the way that many churches have started to use this phrase. It is the true definition of what inclusive means. Just like you're taught in grade school. Why don't you go invite Becky and have her come into your little friend group? It's, they're trying to encourage you to include. Others. When I preach the gospel to you week in and week out, I'm trying to get you to include your neighbor, to bring that person with you to church, to talk to your family over a holiday meal. Um, maybe don't bring up politics, but bring up Jesus. He gets even more people upset okay, than the current president or the last president or the whatever. Bring him up. Include. God is a family man and he wants a big family. And he's given us all this time, not to just be selfish, but to include others. And yet, it's exclusive. How is how is God exclusive? That doesn't seem like it reconciles with God being a God of love and joy and peace. Yes, actually it is. Because all throughout God's word, even like it says here in verse 7 and 8, it says, but for those that don't belong, they chose not to belong, they will be excluded So this is a warning, a clarion call for you and I to live our faith boldly, especially in the days that we live in. Amen? Okay. So if you aren't a family member, a member of the family of God rather, why would you expect to reap the benefits of what family members get? You can't shop at Sam's Club without having the Sam's Club membership. You pay for that membership so you get the benefit of it. It's a cheap membership and you save a lot on groceries if you've got a family and that kind of thing. It makes sense. But here's the thing. You can't just show up to Sam's and barge in and say, I want that TV and I want this sack of potatoes because they want to know that you're part of the group. This is a simple thing. But yet sometimes we think in, I think we complicate our faith. It's so simple. Any who want to can come. And they better get ready. Because something great is about to happen in their life. And if that's you here today, God is able to change you as well. Look at what verse 21, or sorry, verse 22 of chapter 21 says. Chapter 21 verse 22 John says, "...and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb." Verse 23, "...and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb." Amen. "...by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it." And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. I don't know if you caught what John just said. But the gates won't be shut. You'll be able to go in and come out. There won't be any night. Amen. And there's no need for external illumination. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is bright enough. The Lamb is the light of the new Jerusalem. But he says something really interesting there that he sees no temple in the city. Now, uh, if you've ever heard me preach on Revelation this year, you may have heard me use this phrase prophecy profiteers, those that write books and try to sell millions of copies talking about something, some code they found in the book of Revelation or whatever. They get all goosebumpy and uh, they go running around telling everybody they know about what they think. A third temple will look like. You probably have come across these people. They, pro- I don't want to step on too many toes this morning, but I'm just going to tell you, all of TBN is not good for you. Okay. Okay. I got a couple that understand. Uh, not everybody on there is biblically faithful. Okay, so here's you say well, pastor. How could you criticize? I'm telling you the body of Christ is not where it needs to be And just because somebody's got a loud mouth and a pretty face doesn't mean that we should follow what they say Okay So they give themselves goosebumps thinking about well, how are we going to set up this third temple? I heard that a jewish person in israel is buying property around the temple mount and they get all hot and bothered about it Here's what i'm telling you. It's not necessary In my analysis of the word of God, it is not necessary to have a third temple now. There's just not. You can read the prophets, you can read the book of Revelation, and then we see John says in the future, there is no temple there. So even if we built a temple, it would get destroyed, because it's going to get destroyed here on this earth, before God renovates the earth to bring us back to an Edenic state. So, is it possible that Jewish people will rebuild a physical temple here on earth before the end of all things? Yes. Is it necessary before Jesus comes back? No. It's not necessary. So, and I've got at least 30 scripture verses I can give you if you're interested. The Bible's clear and this passage makes it plain that there is no temple in the city. Why is that? You have to understand why they needed a temple before. The first time that they started joining together and they got, um, not exiled, I was going to say they got exited. (laughs) They got exodist. okay? They got brought out. That's the word I'm going for. They got brought out of Egypt and God said, I'm going to have a people that are going to worship me, serve me, follow me, obey me. And then they got together and said, okay, how do we worship this God? Well, then they put together this idea God gave them. About a tabernacle and they traveled with that tabernacle. It was where they went to meet God. It was where someone was able to speak with the authority of God's voice to the people. Now we understand church a lot differently these days than they did back then. But when you got in your car this morning to come here, I hope you didn't just come to say hi to your favorite friend that you haven't seen all week and see how their Thanksgiving was. You came in here to be in the presence of a mighty God, a Prince of Peace who, who seeks to heal, save, deliver, set free. You came to the, to the gathering of the saints. To join in song, to join in giving, to join in listening, and for your sake, I almost said God's sake, but for your sake, for you to go out into the world and apply the words you hear from God's word, for your sake, for his kingdom's sake. So there's something important that they understood about needing a place to worship God all the way throughout. And then they built something with stone and mortar and brick. And now we have a building like this. And there are thousands of them around the world. Maybe even dozens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of churches and gathering places. Here's the point. That won't be necessary in the future. Because God will be with His people we won't have to build a place to come because everywhere we look, there will be His people. There won't be sin, pain, sorrow, grief, any of those things. Sickness, disease. Calories won't count. You won't, you won't have to worry about wearing your stretchy pants to Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner, okay? you It's going to be amazing. His promise is going to be fulfilled. Verse 27, verse 27 reiterates the inclusivity and exclusivity of our faith in God. Verse 27 of chapter 21 says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. It's going to be a safe place. (laughs) Not like the media talks about safe spaces on campus. Okay. This is going to be a safe place though for all of us who are his children. Amen. Now allow me to summarize chapter 22. See, we're going really quick. You saw two chapters. Revelation chapter 22. It really, it beautifully closes the entirety of scripture. Not just the book of Revelation, but all of God's word. John was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he offers comfort. He offers, he issues warnings, which we've already heard a warning. And he reminds us that our hope, as true believers, our hope is the return of Jesus Christ. We've been preaching for hundreds of years... In churches just like this. Jesus is coming back. That statement is still true. Jesus is coming back. You don't know the day or the hour. But I'm telling you. Everything I see. Just like I echo the words in the pulpits. I heard someone preach in when I was a child. Everything I see in this culture and and current goings on in the world. Leads me to believe Jesus is coming back sooner than what anybody thinks. I sure hope he is. (laughs) I sure hope he's coming back sooner. In fact, in chapter 22, you'll hear uh, John says something really interesting. The Spirit and the Bride, the Spirit, two entities, the Holy Spirit is desiring to withdraw from the earth the people of God and the Bride of Christ, which is the church, is crying out the same prayer in our spirit, in our heart, saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I want to see many more people. Added to this family. And I know that God wants to see many more people. Added to the families. To the family of God around the world. So Revelation 22. If I had to summarize that with one sentence. I would say very clearly. It is live ready. I've mentioned it before. But I was um, not only a visitor. But a resident in Brownsville. During the height of. Uh, of a revival that happened back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I'll never forget Steve Hill preaching message after message, the evangelist who was there, who essentially, I mean, if you could wrap up any message he preached, he would say something very similar to this, live ready. Either get ready, because some of y'all need it, (laughs) right? And live ready, Get ready. How do I get ready? I receive Jesus Christ, His grace, His love, His forgiveness. And then how do I live ready? I obey His word. I march to the beat of His drum. Not my own plan, amen? Not my own desire, but His. So in chapter 22, we get a glimpse of, of eternity. And we're told to remain, listen to me church, steadfast in our faith steadfast. Now that's not a word that we commonly use in everyday English now. We don't talk about, yeah, I had a steadfast weekend or, you know, or my marriage is steadfast. We, we don't even use that phrasing anymore. But let me just help you understand what that means. We are told to remain faithful, anchored, tethered to, immovable, unshakable in our faith in God. John is communicating these things and we're told to live ready because Jesus is coming back. We also get this invitation to take or to receive the water of life. So when you read chapter 22, it really should inspire you to understand that we're heading for a bright future. But we have got to live ready. Read some of the parables that Jesus shared in his ministry about being ready, about people being caught unaware, about that sort of uh, motif or that image that Jesus keeps delivering in his parables. He was trying to help his disciples first and then those who were his followers second in order for them to understand what what does it mean for me to live ready. It means that I'm I've got my bag packed, <laughs> I've got everything sorted and I'm ready to go. Anybody in here ever struggled to get ready before a flight? And you're running around crazy and you're 10 miles down the road and you remember you left your cell phone at the house or whatever. I mean, there we've all experienced what unreadiness or unpreparedness feels like. And God, through his Holy Spirit, tells John to tell us, don't be that way when it comes to my return. Live ready. Live prepared. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 22. You might be like, what? Why is he highlighting nature and things that, I mean, it just seems like, okay, this is a little bit strange. He's describing a picture of what he is seeing. Now, if you were to imagine, use your imagination. It might have been a while since you've done this if you're a grown-up. But use your imagination. And you could either see trees. Have you ever seen a picture of like a canal in a European city that's lined with trees, just beautiful on either side? They're they're all almond trees or cherry trees or whatever, but they're lining up the whole thing. If I use my imagination, it might be that the tree and the roots of it are beneath the river and its branches are coming up on either side of the stream. I don't know what you imagine. I'm not exactly sure what John saw when, like, the coloring and all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you the significance of a tree here is very important. Where have I heard tree of life before? It seems like it showed up in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, it seems like it's there. And God does something crazy. He sends an angel with a sword to guard it after the fall so that Adam and Eve can't get back to the tree of life. The two trees in the garden, tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The problem is he didn't want us in our sin state to find immortality in that way. And so God knows what he's doing. He knew what we would do, right? And so he protected. It says that he banished them from the garden and when he banished them, you should go read it, it's a cool story. Banished them from the garden, he set an angel to guard the entrance so that they would not go to the tree of life. Then you hear again, and you can look this up in scripture, it's a really interesting topic. Um, I don't know if you're an arborist or not, but um, Ezekiel chapter 37, it might be 47. Um, talks about the tree of life as well. It's in Ezekiel's vision, heading towards the future. But why is this important? And there's some weird language there. It's yielding its fruit when? Only in the fall? Look, each month. You don't have trees that do that. We've never seen a tree that does that when can apples be harvested? Sure, you can buy them because they come from, you know, Guatemala or somewhere else. You can buy them in January because they harvested somewhere south of the equator and that kind of thing. But here in America, our apple harvest is in the fall. That's why we have apple cider and apple this and apple cake. (laughs) Hallelujah. So wonderful. Um, Miss Julie makes a mean apple cake. Um, If you've never had one, she only charges $50, and she'll make one for you. I'm trying to make you money, so you can make me one as a bonus. Anyway, uh, I enjoyed that apple cake very much. Um, why, Why am I telling you this? Because apples, you work all those years in an orchard in order to have your fruit be produced. Then you have to guard against pestilence. You have to guard against drought. You have to do all sorts of crazy things in order to protect the crop. I remember being a little kid and riding on the back, almost getting thrown off of the four-wheeler while we're going through a tomato field in order to light fires at the corners of the fields because a frost was coming that was unexpected and it was going to ruin my uncle's crops. So me and the cousins are out there and we're shooting frogs and stuff in the canals and, the, and we're running around and then all of a sudden we're lighting these fires. why did they go to that length they lit these giant bonfires at the corners of the field so the wind would warm they did all of this for a single crop that would be gone just like that and then you wait till next year <laughs> i mean if you're lucky you get two harvests out of something but this tree is yielding fruit perpetually it's never stopping produce this is awesome When you think about the fact that God has a limitless supply of life and He wants you to live life abundantly. In fact, Jesus said that He came that you might have life and to have it freely and abundantly. There's something else interesting here at the end of that phrase or verse. It says, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, that might seem strange as well. So I tell you, if you come across something weird in God's Word, what should you do? Cross it out? (laughs) No. You should dive deeper. You say, Pastor, I'm not going to do a Bible study this week on trees. You might find some really interesting stuff in God's Word. I'm telling you, I have. The healing of the nations, though. This is an interesting statement that happens. Another... um, Another thing for us to kind of single out and focus on is this. So you've got to engage your mind, your brain when you're studying God's word. So we went from tree of life to oh that's from the garden of Eden. Okay. So God is restoring what he originally wanted. He is getting all of that stuff back. But how does how do the leaves and healing take place? Well, he's not a medicine doctor. <laughs> Hello. Y'all need more coffee. I was try, trying to get a ha ha Okay, he's not a medicine doctor. He's not hes not over there making a paste, you know, with some voodoo doll and chicken bones. He's not doing that kind of stuff. And why do we need healing for nations? Just use your mind, your brain, when you're thinking about this. Because we've already been told that there's no pain, no sickness, no sorrow, no grief. So it's not for an emotional healing. It's not for a physical healing. We've already seen the enemies of God defeated over and over again, not only throughout history, but in John's revelation of Jesus Christ. So they're not war wounds that are being healed. So what exactly is the point and why have this, in, why have this phrase in God's word? It's not for physical healing or emotional healing. It appears that we will have life in abundance And be able to eat of the tree of life without any hesitation. And it will have ever yielding perpetual fruit. And the properties of that will be like healing. But let me stop and say this. You don't have to be a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar to be able to understand what God's word wants to share with you. If you just say in a Google search... Um, what does this mean in Greek, you know, and you put in the Bible verse, Revelation 21, 5, or whatever it is that you're going to do, you can start to somehow get an opinion about what scholars think. Now, I always say Google should not be your source for theology, okay? You need to actually consult God's Word and people who've studied it for their lifetime to be able to do that. But you can kind of get a little bit of a... Uh, Head start or maybe get a clue as to what you need to go further in. I say that because the Greek term that is used in John's language in that day, the Greek term that we as American English speakers translate healing is actually a Greek word that means it's a root word that we get our word therapy from. He said, Pastor, I'm in therapy. Please don't joke about it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Listen, therapeutic things, just think about this. Therapeutic things preserve life before disease sets in. So the word that John chose to use in Greek is therapia, and he says, the leaves will be like therapy for the nations. So an unending supply of God's abundant life-giving property and fruit. And therapy does not actually heal. <laughs> this is not a joke, please, if you've gone to therapy. I have, okay? I'm not talking about mental, emotional therapy doesn't do anything. I'm just saying the actual idea of therapy doesn't heal itself, okay? But it helps preventive, preventively and it gives you good health and wellness. Anybody else in here take a probiotic, eat a little Activia, okay? You're doing something good for your body. You're doing something health healthy for yourself. And so the healing of the nations, you say, well, I thought the nations were disappeared and we're supposed to be on uh, clouds floating around like cherubs and practicing our archery. <laughs> She's an archer. Uh, no, it's going to be a whole new world, the nations will come, and they'll serve the Lord. They'll be bringing offering and tithes. They'll be coming in all the time to worship the Lord in the new Jerusalem. We'll be growing crops. You've got to read God's Word. It's more than just, I'm going to go visit Granny on a cloud. Granny's going to be busy, and hopefully she'll find some time for her, whoever you are, to come and visit. But the whole idea is this. There is more to eternity than just us Floating into space like a little wisp of smoke. In fact, the reverse is true. The Word of God says your life now is just like that. But your eternal life is not. Because it's eternal. Amen? So, everything in God's new world and new Jerusalem will be perfect, will be blessed, will not have any issues. There's no sin that will exist there. I don't know who voted in the last election, but you know how I feel about this when I say vote. Pastor, my vote doesn't matter. We can talk in the Connection Center after. I'm just telling you, we have a civic duty, okay, to honor authority. And if you have the ability to choose who they're going to be, you might as well put them in. Listen to me. Pastor, why did you jump there? Because there will be perfect government, In the new kingdom. In this place we're all going to. There won't be a corrupt senator that made a sweetheart deal with so and so. In order to enrich the lives of his children and grandchildren in his district. It won't be like this. That's good news. (laughs) Because it really looks bad right now. And we're not the only ones. I, I follow some news from around the world. And there's issues and challenges in governments all over the world the corruption the corruption is out of hand but in god's kingdom perfect government will exist i don't know if you've ever been heard in a church based on the government of the church but perfect government will exist here. I don't know if the governing ability or authority in your workplace has done something that caused you to not get that promotion or not... We're not going to have a boss like that in the future. Amen? We're going to have a great experience because it's going to be a sin-free experience, a healthy experience, with perfect things, including government, the ability to worship God together, complete peace, So part of God's hope for us that is shared is that we'll have peace not only with God, but with each other. I don't know if you've ever had a disagreement with another believer, but that happens. And so we'll be in complete peace with all the family members. Part of God's means to promote this perfection, either literally or symbolically, are the leaves of this healing tree and the fruit that we eat. So I want to wrap this up by telling you two other things that Jesus says specifically and um, and then we'll have the worship team come and I want to pray with you. I believe with all of my heart that John's call in chapters 21 and 22, what he saw and his call to us that echoes through the ages is a call to endure. I want you to think about I don't want to rip a Band-Aid off, but I want you to think about what you have endured in this life. Just think of one or two scenarios that probably pop up real easily. Maybe think about what you're currently enduring. And I don't want to scare you, but if you live another day on this world besides today, you'll probably endure something else that's going to be hard. And so there's this call that John by the Spirit of God is giving to his, to us as God's people to endure and have faith. And there's hope wrapped in what Jesus says in chapter 22 verse seven. He says, and behold, I'm coming soon. The word would be quickly in another version, but here's the important thing. The root in the original language is more closely to the word suddenly. We won't know when he's coming. You say, quick, how quick is quick? We've been waiting 2,000 years. (laughs) Suddenly is the point, that he will come suddenly. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This applies to all of scripture, but also to the book of Revelation specifically. Then Jesus refers to himself and he uses several titles that I'll highlight in verse 13 and in verse 16. Verse 13, he says this, Jesus still speaking, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Just so that you understand, kids, listen, the Greek alphabet, their language, they don't have A to Z, they have Alpha to Omega. Their language is different, and so Alpha is the first letter, and Omega is their last letter. So Jesus is speaking something to a Hebrew, to a Jewish man, who is then going to write and share this with Greeks living then, who understand very clearly what that means. That He is from the beginning, He will endure till our end, and He is everything in between. So He's the Alpha and the Omega. If, if John were an English speaking American, and he wrote this phrase that he heard Jesus say, he may say, from A to Z, I am all you need. That's, how, that's how we would look at it in American English. So he's saying something very important because he's called himself this before. Jesus has called himself this before. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and in other places throughout Revelation, we're to understand this is designating the comprehensive nature of God. Look at what he calls himself in 22, verse 16. He says this, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I want to help you understand this phrase, which I think really is precious. It's a beautiful phrase taken from the Old Testament, the prophecies about a Messiah, a Savior who is going to come. And there's this idea that he is trying to help us see that he is not only the originator of who David is, but he's also somehow David's son. So He is from the beginning... He's saying, I'm eternal. I've got the whole world in my hands. I've got all the future of every nation in my hands. I know what kings and kingdoms will rise and fall. I've got this. I am the one who desired to have a David. And even though David sinned and David did not always do what was right and good, he still got chosen as being the heritage of who Jesus was. It's amazing. And you can find that in the genealogies that I mentioned earlier. Read that as you start to read the Christmas story. Shh. Don't skip over the begats. You're going to find something cool in there. The fact that somebody who's a non-Israelite, a woman, in fact, is mentioned as being part of the line of David. How is that possible? It's awesome that God is grafting in Those who are not belonging, come on somebody, that have no right to belong, he grafted them in from a long time ago before it ever came to me. And I'm thankful. So Jesus is saying, I'm the root and the descendant of David, or the son of David, the bright morning star. Jesus himself speaks of this while he's in ministry on the earth. You can read that in Matthew 22 at your leisure. But only God could have orchestrated a plan like this. Now we move to the last two verses of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming suddenly. John's reply then is, amen. (laughs) Come, Lord Jesus. This should be our desire and prayer as well. I know for kids in the room, and I even understand for grown-ups in the room, I should start calling you adults, I guess. Grown-up sounds like a kid referring to it. Anyway, somebody said this week, they were talking to me and they said, oh yeah, this person they're referring to, they said, yeah, they're about our age. And I looked at her and was like, I am not your age. I don't know what age you are, lady, but I'm not that old. Yes, I am. I've always been old. <laughs> my wife says, Yep, you've always been an old man. Just wait. It gets worse. Oh Lord. Uh, <laughs> it gets better and worse. Here it is. John saying this. He says, Surely, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, suddenly. Let it let that be the desire and prayer of our heart. What I was trying to say about the woman calling out, my age is this. When I was a kid, I said, Jesus, I hear all these preachers talking. My dad, too, talking about you coming back. But I really want to get my driver's license. And I really want to get a girlfriend. And I really want to go to college. And I really want to this. I thought like that. And there are kids in this room today thinking the same thing. I can't wait to get my first car. I can't wait to get my... you Fill in the blank. We as parents and grandparents... Or you're a parent maybe of the upper age and you're waiting for that first grandkid. I saw some celebration this week for some grandbabies that have been born. Congratulations. So listen, that's not their first. It's the sixth, seventh, seventh, seventh. Um, but here's the thing. Lord, don't take me before I get to experience grandparenthood. I actually want that. I want to see my kids suffer as they parent their children. Okay. Oh, I forgot one of them's here. Uh, but And then I want to sugar up their kids. And then throw them out the curb and say, here you go, go back to mom and dad. Um, I can't wait. So there are things that in our hearts, in our humanness, we desire to experience here. But I'm telling you, John, in his spirit, says something. And he doesn't say it just because he suffered on an island. Just because he's been marooned there, or stationed there, whatever the case was. It's not just that he has endured something and is saying, I want out of this. But by the Spirit of God, he's saying, Jesus, I want to be with you. Come back quick. I think there's a significance there to this man, John, who had experienced some life with Jesus. To say, come back, I miss you. I was hearing someone talk about, um, uh, the name escapes me now, John Maxwell. I was hearing someone talk about him recently, and I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's a leadership guru, a great Christian man. Um, he has won many people to the Lord, not as much as Billy Graham. He doesn't get up on a stage and preach a gospel message, but he prays. He has a list of people he prays for every day, and he gladly marks them off the list once they become saved and follow the Lord. He has this common uh, statement that he shares when he's approached by an atheist. Because he's a very bold person. It's okay if you're not uh, an extrovert. But he's a very extroverted person. So if he's having dinner somewhere. He's talking to the waitress. He's talking to the waiter. He's got people with him. And he's talking. So he'll come across these atheists from time to time. And if he gets a moment of heartfelt attention. Like where they're able to communicate together. He'll say, I understand that you're an atheist and that you uh, don't believe that there's a God. But don't you miss him? Don't you miss him? Wouldn't it really help if you had him? And I, I was struck by that because I thought to myself, in light of this verse, in light of John's approach, in light of what our approach should be, I miss him. I need to miss him more, maybe. I need to miss him more than I want to see my grandkids be born. I need to miss him more. I need to want to be with him. I need to not be attached to this world as much as I am. So I was just preaching that to me. But if you heard something for you, take it with you. We need to have this eternity in our eyes, knowing that it's it's real. And it's going to happen suddenly, faster than you can imagine. The last two verses, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. And John replies, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Other versions say, be with all the saints. We are indeed in need of the grace of the Lord Jesus. I want you, if you're here today, I want you to stand with me as we close our service. And I want to ask you that pivotal question. I gave you a sneak peek of it a moment ago. But as John's call to to us to endure, I want to ask you about your endurance. I saw a beautiful video this week of the first um, woman with Down syndrome to have completed the New York City Marathon. It was absolutely beautiful, the celebration at the end. She was exasperated, (laughs) but she had trained hard and she had gotten herself there. And there was this moment that hit me that regardless of her disability, she pushed through. Regardless of the thing that you faced, you should push through. Regardless, and they've been hard. There have been some hard things. In this room, we could go around and have sob story after sob story and tears. And I know, I've experienced some hard things in my life too. But I'm telling you, God's call to the saints is that they would endure. That they would endure suffering like a good soldier. That they would continue to persevere even when it feels like they want to give up. That they should push forward. That they should race towards the mark of the high calling in Jesus. That they should continue regardless of what their circumstance looks like. Let their faith be unshakable. So what have you endured? What are you currently enduring that you might need prayer for? Or what do you feel is coming down the pipe? Heading your way that you're going to endure? Those are questions that each one of us should wrestle with today because I want the perseverance of that woman who finished the marathon. I want to be able to stand before the throne of my king and him say, well done, you good and faithful servant. I want to be able to celebrate in eternity with all of those who have gone before. I want to meet the heroes of my faith. But more than all of that... I want to be in the presence of the one who created me, who called me by name, who gave me a purpose, who put me on this world, who led me the days of my life. I want that and I want you to experience that. So believer, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm a believer. I love Jesus with all my heart but I am going through something hard. Our our prayer team is stepping out right now and they're gonna take position on this side of the room and on that side of the room. And they're just here to pray with you. Maybe it's been a long time since you had somebody pray with you. Uh, It's an encouragement to have them pray with you. You just mentioned your need. You don't have to tell them a long life story. You just tell them, I need prayer for my finances. I need prayer for my family, whatever it is. And they'd love to pray with you today. We've got plenty of them for plenty of you. But if you're not a believer here today, and you've heard this message, then I want to offer you the hope of salvation that is only available through Jesus Christ. I know that sounds like a sales pitch but it's the universal truth that everyone is missing which is everyone but those who are believers is missing that is there's only one way to heaven it's not through being good enough it's not through any other God that's ever been named it's not through any other religion it's through Jesus Christ the only begotten son of God and he he loves you so much that he gave his life on a cross for you and he didn't stop there. (laughs) He persevered. He endured to the end. The writer of Hebrews says why he did that. He did it for the hope set before him. Not that all his pain would go away, but so that he could enjoy time with his family and be with you. So if you're here today and you don't believe or haven't believed before, maybe you've walked away. I believe today could be the day that you walk back to Him or that you walk to Him for the first time and say, Father, forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your son's blood. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness and make me new. He wants to make you new. In fact, I didn't highlight that verse, but in chapter 21 and 22, God Himself speaks that over all creation and says, behold, I am making all things new. He's always been about that, and he still is today. So close your eyes, everyone in this room. If you're here and you're in need of salvation, you say, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus to come into my life to transform me. I want to give him my heart and my life today. If that's you, just raise your hand. Let us know by the raising of your hand today. We love to see it. Thank you, Lord. There's anyone else? I want to give you this moment to make sure that you are in the place of being ready for eternity. Father, thank you for those that raise their hands. If you are uh, willing to and bold enough, and you're here today and you did raise your hand, just step out when we ask people to come receive prayer. With the prayer team, and we'd love to pray with you. We've got some resources we'd love to give you to help you on your faith journey. But, believers, look at me real quick. Open your eyes and look at me. Take this moment to commit to the Lord. You might need to say, God, I'm sorry I stayed mad at you for what you made me endure. You might need to offer forgiveness, just spiritually speaking. God, I forgive that person for the thing they made me endure. You may need to say, God, I'm enduring something right now. And Sandra, I need you to pray with me. This is what I'm going through. But definitely make a commitment today as we sing this last song together. That we will have our faith steadfast.